took me a long time, probably by design, for me to figure out what society really is. And it is not a collective agreement of virtue. It is not even subjugation to a central agency like the state. It is not even particularly cultural history, at least not in the here and now. I will tell you what society is and how it's manifesting itself in the most terrible ways at the moment. First thing to understand, personality, your personality is largely genetic. I'm going to do a presentation on this uh, later this week, but your personality is largely genetic. And genetics, genes, like to spread. And the way they spread is through reproduction. Now, human beings reproduce in general according to value sets. If you are enthusiastic, you will tend to marry an enthusiastic person. This idea that opposites attract is, uh, it is not true biologically and sociologically. If you are a conscientious person, you will likely marry a conscientious person. If you are gregarious, social, outgoing, an extrovert, you will likely marry such a person. If you are neurotic, you will likely marry such a person. So the genes run society because we don't have any values anymore. We don't have any values. The main reason why we don't have any values is that our education, the education of the young by the state, has become increasingly secular, which is to say morality-free, philosophy-free, value-free. And the reason for that, of course, is multiculturalism creates insurmountable conflicts when it comes to the teaching of values to children. Do you, do you want to teach the Ten Commandments to your kids? Well, you're going to have a whole bunch of other religions and secularists and atheists who are going to say, no, 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 you can't do that. So what happens? Well, you have to strip value, meaning, morality, ethics, virtue, depth, character out of your education. And the education then just has to be a useless, brain-starving conveyor belt of trivia and useless skills. Ooh, triangle inequality relations. Uh, let me put that on the big list of things I'm never going to use in my life. Opposite angle theorem, cosine. Um, the different kinds of plants. <laughs> hey, unless you're a farmer, does it really matter? So you have to carve out the entire purpose of education is supposed to be to teach you reason, which leads to virtue, which leads to happiness. But they can't teach you reason because they're in multiculturalism. Like, it's one thing if you have a single irrational foundation for your beliefs in society. You can ascribe that to faith, step over it, and continue to teach meaning and content and value to children. But when you have a jostling series of irrational and often aggressive belief systems within society, which is diversity, multiculturalism, and so on, well, you have to become bland, inoffensive, boring, empty. And this creates a power vacuum of meaning, a power vacuum of philosophy. When you get rid of morality in your education, you don't create a good group of citizens. You create an empty, vacuous, waiting to be filled by sterner and more resolute belief systems. And that is currently, of course, what is occurring at the moment. Personality is contagious. Even life choices are contagious. See, if you have a family member who's getting divorced, your odds of getting divorced yourself go up like 70%. If it's just a friend, they go up like 30%. 
because people who get divorced, who are getting divorced, want to make it a moral choice, want to make it a good thing, and they transmit and infect other people with that moral choice. Oh, I didn't realize, says the woman, how oppressed I was. I didn't realize how taken for granted, how underappreciated I was. And now that I'm divorced, I'm free. I'm self-expressed. I've taken up watercolors. I'm planning on having an affair with an imaginary sculptor who lives down in Boho. And so it spreads. And I've seen this. You've seen this dominoes in your life. Where one person gets divorced, their sister gets divorced, their cousin gets divorced, their friend gets divorced. Boom, boom, boom. Out it goes. If someone around you is getting divorced and they're not self-aware, and this is a lot of it is subconscious acting out, who knows, right? But if somebody is framing their divorce as a generally moral good thing, you've got to cut that person loose like a gangrenous limb. (laughs) It's going to spread. It's going to destabilize. And it's not like... The people who are around such people, oh, you've got to support people. You've got to, you got to, you got to listen to her. She's going through a tough time. You've got to be there for her. Yeah, in the same way that a panicked, drowning epileptic can drag you down to the watery depths of Davy Jones' locker if you try and save them. Fruit Ninja style, baby. Slice and dice and exit. Because they're going to spread. They're going to try and spread this misery. Misery loves company. And it creates it by re-transmitting a mindset into the brains of other people. Mindset is a virus that helps extend particular personality traits. So let's say you are um, an anxious person, right? You are neurotic. You you experience a lot of uh, negative emotions. You're easily triggered and so on. Well, these are genes. There are genetics, very clear genetics, which manifest themselves in this type of mindset, and they want to spread. The genetics that drive neuroticism want to spread just like every other set of genetics want. They want to photocopy themselves into infinity. That's evolution, baby. That's how it works. So if you have that mindset, what you want to do is you want to make it easy. If you have these genetics, what you want to do, these are all analogies, you understand. I'm not saying they have brains, but... This is how it works, evolutionarily speaking. If you have the genetics for neuroticism, what you want to do is you want to make neuroticism a value, a good thing, a moral good. And you want to bring neurotic people together so that they can have sex. And then you want to make sure that as much environmental stimulus as as possible is inflicted on the baby to make sure as much as is possible, that the baby's going to grow up neurotic. So you want to make neuroticism a value. You want to make sure neurotic people meet. And you want to make sure that the environment stimulates as much neuroticism as That's how you spread. That's how you spread. You understand, right? So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you don't call it neuroticism. You call it concern. You call it having a conscience. You call it being conscientious. Although conscientiousness is another one of the big five personality traits, which I'll get to another time. So what you want to do is you want to promote causes that are going to draw neurotic people together. Well, that's leftism, right? This is this uh, endless game that the left plays, which is to find some statistical disparity in society, to refuse to examine any root causes 
and then to simply ascribe all statistical differences in groups to prejudice, and then to invoke the power of the state in an attempt to close these gaps, right? Like Ivanka Trump just uh, went, I think she's helping to spearhead a $200 million investment. And it's a diversity and female-friendly, so white males, you're shit out of luck, for people to go into STEM. STEM, she says, is very important. Now, she was a teen model, and I think, as far as I understand it, has made her life uh, out of selling handbags. But apparently, see, science, technology, engineering, it's all mathematics, very, very important stuff. So you create a cause which is going to draw neurotic people together so that they are, it's like this big giant dating club, right? You, you, you have a cause which sends out these broadcasts, these signals for neuroticism. When we get together, we're going to worry about everything in the world. We're going to feel anxiety and dissonance and upset and anger and, and so on. So you're going to find differences in how ethnicities perform in terms of economics or education. You're going to find differences in how various cultures perform. You're going to find differences in how men and women end up with particular incomes or job opportunities and so on. You're not going to examine any root causes, particularly any biological root causes for these differences in IQ, in life choices, in male and female brains. You, you, you have to steadfastly oppose those. Because if people accept that there's a significant amount of biological differences between ethnicities and between genders, then they will look to those first for explaining differences in outcomes, economically, educationally, socially, and so on. Which is why, you know, James Damore, right, from, from Google, he was asked, well, what do, what do you think? How do you think we could best deal with differences in female representation and male representation in STEM, in, uh, in, in Google, in software engineering? And he said, well, you know, here's some differences, some scientific differences between male and female brains. Maybe we could work to accommodate those and help women that way. Ooh, you've got to be fired! You see, now, you can say, well, this is just prejudice and so on. And of course there is that. But... More importantly, it's, it's important that the denial of biological differences, which explains significant amount of differences in outcome in a free market, the denial of those is essential. Because remember, the genetics are trying to get neurotic people to have sex and create neurotic babies. Because neuroticism, and there are other personality traits. There's, there's no personality trait which is unrelated to genetics. But Significant proportions of your personality are genetic, and those genetics want to spread. And so the best way to do that is to create a cause which people can worry about, which cannot be solved. And in fact, if you create a cause that people can worry about, which every time they try to fix it, they make it worse, then you're just drawing more and more and more and more people into this breeding vat of neuroticism. Or again, it could be other personality traits as well. So you create a cause that people can worry about that they can't possibly fix because, you know, it's like that old joke, right? So this guy is uh, leaves the bar drunk and he's looking for his house keys. And he's looking like there's a street lamp right outside the bar and he's looking for his house keys. And the bartender locks up and is coming out and says, hey, Joe, what are, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm looking for, my, looking for my house keys, right? The guy sort of sits down, okay, I'll help you, right? Good customer. Sits around, looks for the house keys for a while. Can't find them. And he says, are you sure you dropped them here? Says the bartender. Joe says, no, I didn't drop them here. I dropped them like way up the street. And the bartender says, well, if you dropped them way up the street, why are we looking here? Joe looks, points up at the streetlight and says, 
hey man, this is the only place there's light. That's how ideology works. All differences in outcomes between social groups are the result of sexism, prejudice, racism, whatever, right? And you need a giant government to... Right? This can't... You can't solve it this way. Because it's not true. (laughs) You know, I hate to point out the basics, but it's not true. It's not true. And so... But but what it, 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 the purpose is not to solve the problem. The purpose genetically is to get neurotic people together to to put them in a place where their neuroticism is further stimulated. Where neuroticism is not well, I'm crazy or I'm hyper or you know I'm got a brainstorm of anxiety or whatever. It is well, we're concerned, we're thoughtful, we're considerate, we care about the vulnerable and right. And this is why you always see in these statements, you know, the most vulnerable among us. Because when you talk about vulnerability, what you do is you provoke neuroticism. Well, we have to worry, we have to take care of, we have to, right? And of course, if you tell women not to have kids, then maternal instincts will flow to other members of society to varying degrees of munificence. Anyway, so the purpose is to get the neurotic together, to get them to breed so that the neurotic genes can spread. And this is true of others, other groups as well. It doesn't, doesn't have to be bad. I mean, some instances is bad. If you look at something like um, gregariousness or um, being outgoing socially, being an extrovert in someone, largely genetic, largely genetic. Well, you know, there are places where you can get together, toast bus and so on, learn how to public speak and learn how to be good at these kinds of things. And it draws people together with an interest in that, either an active or a latent predisposition towards that particular thing. And then they get to meet and... Right, like, like bars are places where the genes for alcoholism congregate in order to make more alcoholics. Right, this is this is how these things work. This is what society is. You understand, <laughs> right? And the universities are these big giant neuroticism factories. And this is why when you bring in something like biological differences, you get attacked because biological differences between Ethnicities between genders, what they do is they deflate or oppose or undermine or in some cases even destroy the cover story for the genes reproduction, right? For the genes for neuroticism's reproduction. So in an extreme form, this sort of anxiety and neuroticism, you, you simply become joyless. Now again, the genes don't care that you're happy. They don't care that you're unhappy. They simply care that you find someone that they can mesh with genetically to reproduce more of those genes. Right? I mean, the genes for your eyebrows, right? Why do you have eyebrows, right? Just prevent the sweat from running into your eyes when you're out hunting or fighting for that matter. But they don't care if you're happy or not. The genes don't care if you're happy. They, don't, okay. they, they only care that you meet like genes and reproduce. And so if the genes have to make you joyless, the anxiety genes, the neuroticism genes. You understand I'm just using these in an amateur sense, you know, to technical terms and so on. But they don't care if you're happy. They care that you reproduce. And so what happens is the genes for unhappiness, the genes for neuroticism, for anxiety, for depression, they want to spread. And the way that they spread is attempting to trigger changes in people's thinking to make them depressed and anxious and neurotic and so on. Now, that may not change the genetics 
epigenetics is still, I guess, somewhat in its infancy, but it may or may not change the genetics. But what it does do is if you can portray happiness as dumb, the world is in such a terrible place, there's so much injustice, there's so much predation, there's so much exploitation, there's so much disaster, so many disasters in the world, that if you're happy, you're an idiot, right? Like that old song, shiny, happy people holding hands. Well, everybody hurts, right? <laughs> and so if you're, if you're happy, you're, you're dumb, you're oblivious. Well, the reason you do that is that there are genes for unhappiness, which is not to say every time you're unhappy, it's genetic, you understand, right? There are genes for unhappiness. And what they want to do is they want to prevent you from mating with a happy person. They want you to mate with an unhappy person. There are genes for happiness as well, and those genes want you to mate with a happy person rather than an unhappy person. It is a constant toiling boil of resource grabbing and maneuvering, right? This is like genetic Sun Tzu art of war stuff, right? So if you can put out a gen, like if you're, the genes for unhappiness can help you to spread the idea that the world is an unhappy place, the world is a miserable place, the world is a place of danger, the world is a place of testing, the world is a place of evil. Well, then if you're happy, it's because you're dumb and you're uninformed. You just don't have any depth, you don't have any wisdom, you don't have any understanding, right? You're just an idiot, right? And we see this all the time. The left portrays Christians as idiots, as superstitious, as, you understand, right? Why? Why? Because they want to turn more people away from Christianity, which puts them into the secular camp, which changes their values, which makes them more available as breeding resources to spread secular genetics. So, we know that religion has a strong genetic element, for sure, right? So you understand religion versus secularism is gene warfare. It's gene warfare. Now, it used to be that the religious people would convert, and still, of course, in many places they still do forcibly convert, and therefore increase breeding opportunities, and that's how the genetics spread. Spread of religion is the spread of genetics. Spread of secularism is the spread of genetics. So if you can convince a significant number of people that the world is a miserable place, and if you're happy, you're an idiot, you're uninformed, you're stupid, you're goofy, you're ridiculous, right? And you do this through art, you do this through music, you do this through (laughs) Roger Waters lyrics. Could be a wide variety of things. Then what happens is more people will become unhappy, and that means that they will have more in common with the unhappy genes. And therefore, they're more likely to breed with the unhappy genes. If you think the world is a positive place full of opportunity and wonder and beauty and so on, then someone comes along who is like a friend of mine when I was a kid. uh, He had this aunt who would just come over and, you know, it was just like dripping candle wax on your eyeballs. You know, they'd just come over and just drip, drip, negative, this aches and that person died and this horrible thing happens and I have a lump on my back that could be fatal and maybe you do, like just... And he used to refer to, oh, here comes the minister of doom and gloom from the kingdom of woe is me. So if you're a happy person, you believe that the world is a positive place full of opportunity and excitement. Someone like that comes along, right? You don't want to have anything to do with them. So you have to convince the happy person to become unhappy in order for them to have more in common with the unhappy person, the person who's genetically unhappy, and therefore then they can breed with that person, make more unhappy genes, which is what the unhappy genes want to do, as the happy genes want to do as well. So this is really, really important. This is what's going on in the culture wars at the moment. It's gene wars. It's gene wars. not a war. It's about ideology. Maybe you don't care about ideology. Ridiculous, right? I mean, the the, the left, what do they do? The left, they say, well, we care 
about the dreamers, <laughs> even the word, right? Um, we care about the dreamers because you see the left, they just care about the kids so much, so much. But of course, terrible government schools, national debts, uh, drugging children who disobey um, idiot teachers, uh, a massive prejudice against men in female-dominated classrooms, particularly in kindergarten and primary, primary schools. They don't care about kids at all. Don't care about kids. But they know other people care about kids. And, then try and... So, and they also know that, that Christians generally do really care about the kids, which is why Christians do more homeschooling. It's why they oppose. They want more school choice and so on. They really do care about kids. So the left knows that Christians do care about kids. The left doesn't care about kids at all. And so what they want to do is they want to use the Christian sympathy for children to legalize the DACA recipients, to allow chain migration so that they can vote for bigger, more leftist government policies, right? It's, it's a judo move, right? You use the opponent's momentum against themselves. It's a pretty, oh, you sympathize with kids. You sympathize, you have empathy, and you care about this. Well, let me use your sympathy and empathy to destroy your political aspirations and end up with a giant totalitarian semi-socialist state, it's pretty obvious when you when you see it and when you when you can really really absorb this. You look at this. It's all genetic manipulation. It's all um, society. It's an ecosystem of competing genetics. And particularly when you again fragment any central ethos, any central belief systems through the importation, right? I mean, if if you want your genetics to overthrow a dominant genetics, you have to bring in counter genetics. You have to bring in Alternative viewpoints that in part, of course, are largely genetically based. And you say, oh, well, they're culturally based. But culture is the cues for sexual market value, right? So if you have a culture that values one particular thing, then people are going to breed for that thing and it's going to become genetic. Culture and genetics are intertwined. Which is why, you know, there's the Italian expressiveness. Well, that's gregariousness. That's a very, like, outwardness and so on, uh, uh, it is uh, a very genetic trait. Conscien- British are conscientious traditionally, the white British, conscientious, stiff upper lip and so on. Well, there are genetics for that as well. Conscientiousness is one of the big five personality traits, significantly, significantly genetic. And so in Italy, if someone is shy and reserved, they have lower sexual market value, so those genes are less likely to reproduce. In a place like Japan, where emotional self-restraint is considered a great value than somebody who's very expressive and very Italian, so to speak. They have lower sexual market value, so those genes are less likely to reproduce. So if you are, say, on the left, you're, you're communist, socialist, whatever, and you are in the West, which is a free market, small government, tradition kind of society, and you want to you want to grow your genetics, you want to replace the dominant genetics, the dominant culture, the dominant narrative... What you do, of course, is you bring in uh, massive amounts of people. This is the immigration policy that's going on in the West. You bring in massive amounts of people who are going to disrupt the dominant narrative and then create a battleground of competing genetics. And this spread, like there is a profound joylessness. On, on the left, as there is in particular religions, particularly extreme religions, you know, like the world is, is a test, it's a veil of tears and all this kind of stuff. There are these um, very powerful, negative, depressed, anxious genetics in the world. They're joyless. And how do they spread? Well, they tell you that your country is a terrible place. They tell you that 
your country's history, your culture's history, is nothing but exploitation and, and genocide and colonialism and slavery and racism and sexism, ha! right? Why do they do that? Because they want to promote the idea that to be honest, to be realistic, to be accurate, to be truthful, is to be miserable and guilty and depressed and anxious and self-loathing. Why? So that you will then, when you begin to manifest these values emotionally, you will then begin to reproduce them genetically because you will find other people like yourself. You will have sex with them, you will have children with them, and you will raise them in a way that, well, you know, you do have this history of colonialism and slavery and racism and sexism and homophobia and blah, 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 right? And that makes the kid anxious. And uh, that means the kid's going to grow up anxious, but you don't call it anxious. You call it conscientious. You call it having a conscience. You call it being good. Every genetic set of personality traits attempts to harvest and hijack the good in order to promote itself as the universal ideal so it can spread more quickly. If you look at churches, or mosques for that matter, these are places where people with similar ideals congregate together and generally meet and marry and have kids. You understand? This is how it works. When you have a dominant narrative, then it can regularly exclude dominant genetics. You can regularly exclude um, deviations or changes or differences from that dominant narrative. However, if you import massive amounts of people with different ideas, different values, different personality structures, different genetics, then, I mean, you do two things. One, you create the inevitable disparities, and then you can blame the entire dominant culture for those disparities, races, sexes, and so on. Natural. Uh, and, and, and what you can do, of course, is you create conflict. You create a combat. And then you can begin to say, well, you see, the dominant system is based on Combat, it's unjust, it's violent, it's nasty, it's mean, right? And, uh, and this is true. Like People who are poor will often look at rich people and say, those rich people are total jerks. They only got rich by exploiting people. They only got rich by colonialism or ripping off the workers. So in that way, the poor make poverty a value. You're good because you're not rich because all rich people are immoral. It's the Marxist thing, right? And... That way you make poverty a value, which means that you can be more appealing to other poor people. See, if you're poor, like you say you're a poor man, then if rich men become interested in poor women, then the poor women, hypergamously, are most likely to go with the rich men. So what you have to do is you have to continue to tell the poor women that rich people are jerks, they're assholes, they're exploiters, they're mean, they're nasty, and so on. And this you see this all over the place. Like the frat boys, you know, are just mean and nasty, whereas the, the poor kids are, are honest and hardworking and right? all kinds of uh, goodwill hunting stuff. So it's all, so much of this is genetic and so much of this is this particular kind of fighting. But this joylessness, right? You, this joylessness, this you can't enjoy anything, right? This is the, the, the relentless expansion of the joyless genetics is something... It's not going to stop, you understand? I mean, think of joylessness like, you know, I think they introduced, what, rabbits? Uh, They did it with toads as well, but they introduced rabbits into Australia and there was a diminishment of the dingoes. Apparently they were eating imaginary babies. And what happened was the rabbits spread and spread and spread until, it's our selected, right? They spread and spread and spread until they hit the wall. Rabbits don't stop breeding until they run out of food. The only thing that keeps the rabbits in check is lack of food and presence of predators. They will simply keep breeding. They do not have the capacity to curtail their own fertility. 
uh, and other animals do, case-selected animals do, will curtail their own fertility in situations of want and hardship, or wolves and so on, bears. So the spread of this joylessness, because it's genetic, this explains why it continues, why it continues to expand. It won't stop, you understand, until you push back, push back hard with words, ideologically, philosophically. You have to, right? So now everything, like anything you enjoy, the joyless genes are going to drive over it and then back over it and then drive over it and back over it again. Do, do you like your football? Sorry, you can't have it. Do, do you like Shakespeare? Sorry, white male. Racist, sexist. Do you enjoy Dickens? No, product of his time. Racist, sexist, probably homophobic as well. Do you like anything? Anything you like? They're trying to make you um, paranoid and neurotic and self-conscious and self-hating and no peace, right? The neurotic mindset is, is no particular peace. It is a torture prison. And again, the genes don't care that it's torture prison. They're fine with that. As long as you find other torture prisons or create them, mate with them and breed new torture prisons. And so if you want to destroy a dominant value, what you have to do is remove that dominant value from the instruction of the young. And this is one of the reasons why some atheist groups are relentlessly opposed to any public conversations uh, or public school conversations about religion or Christian values and so on, right? Well, of course. Because if values are transmitted to the young, that changes the genetic trajectory of the society. If you transmit socialism to the young, it changes the genetic direction of society. If you change, if you transmit Christian values to the young, it changes the direction. Like if you transmit the socialist values, well, you get a big welfare state, you get all the income supports and so on. So what happens? Well, women don't have to choose responsible men to be the fathers of their children. And so they, uh, women who are the most irresponsible, who formerly would have been restrained by the consequences of pregnancy outside of wedlock and so on, and statistically were, I'm not making that up, Irresponsible women, now freed from the consequences, the economic consequences of children having children outside of wedlock, they decide to have a lot of children, especially if you pay them for more, uh, more of the children that they have. And then they choose the most irresponsible men. Why? Because they're irresponsible women, so responsible men don't want to have anything to do with them. And so given that genes for conscientiousness versus irresponsibility, attention to detail versus this kind of frivolousness, this is strongly genetic... Well, what happens is you are using the welfare state or the irresponsibility genes are using the welfare state to create an environment which allows them to breed further. And then you end up with more and more irresponsible people in society, genetically. Gene wars, you understand? This is, this is how it works. And, of course, in a free market, irresponsible genes are punished because irresponsible genes don't gather a lot of resources, so their sexual market value goes down. Whereas if irresponsible genes can vote for the welfare state, well, then they get a lot of resources, primarily because of their irresponsibility. In a free market, irresponsibility costs you money. In a welfare state, free, uh, the irresponsibility makes you money. You understand how all this works, right? So if you teach socialism to kids, you produce a wide, wide change in the long-term genetics of your society. If you preach... Uh, responsibility uh, with regards to procreation if you say stay virgin until you're married or at least you know use protection until you're married and so on then you change the genetics of that society the welfare state fundamentally is eugenics right changes there are now 
what's called the it's technical term the employment resistant personality has been bred through the welfare state people with they don't have a lot of impulse control they don't have any attention to detail they don't, they don't have strong work ethic they it's this, a lot of this is genetic and so create a vacuum of values by multiculturalism and a hostility towards Christianity, particularly in the West, of course, right? And then import a bunch of people, and this usually happens around the same time, import a bunch of people with a different belief system, different genetics, and so on, different personality traits. And then you create uh, chaos, you create a lack of meaning, and you create depression because people without meaning get depressed. People who don't have a sense of purpose, who, you know, you end up just stimulating yourself, you know, porn, video games, whatever it is, right? And this empties you out after a while. You become depressed. And so when you take away meaning from people's lives, you create a very fertile ground for depression to grow, which means that depressive genes are producing more depressed people who are then going to meet other depressed people, have sex, and have children, and then raise them in a depressive way, which, you know, genetically and epigenetically is about the most fertile soil you can have for the spread of these genetics. And they don't stop. That's the important thing. The joyless people are coming for everything you love. It's the genetics. It's how it spreads. If you don't get that it's a fight, and still, right now, peaceful fight. We hope it stays that way. I sometimes have my doubts. But it's a fight. They will not self-regulate. They will not stop. They aim, as all genetics do, for total domination. Each individual gene doesn't care about the overall amount of resources in society. And so we better start finding some values. We can't go back to mere faith. We can't go. This is why I keep talking about philosophy. We need the philosophical values. That will give you meaning. That will give you joy. That will give you efficacy. That will give you control. That fundamentally changes the genetic path of society. And like all such changes, it will be enormously, steadfastly resisted because genes literally fight to the death. Stefan Molyneux, Freedom Main Radio. Thank you so much for listening, for watching. Please don't forget to pick up a copy of The Art of the Argument. Western Civilization's Last Stand at theartoftheargument.com and please support what I do. It's very, very important at freedomainradio.com slash donate. Thanks, everyone.